everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Creatable Future with Ryder Tracy, an education podcast for teachers that shines a light on industry practice and connects it to the classroom. I'm Ryder Tracy, Head of Educational Transformation at Creatable, and in today's episode, I'll be talking with Parth Galati, Group Product Manager at Finder. Welcome, Parth, and thanks for joining us today. How's it going, Ryder? Yeah, really, really well. I'd love to kick off with a short summary um, of your role and what makes you tick. Yeah, sounds good. So yeah, as you said, I'm a, I'm a good product manager um, at a company called Finder. Maybe I'll start with a little bit about Finder. That'll help kind of contextualize my role as well. So um, Finder is one of Australia's most visited comparison websites. And um, our mission is about helping people make better financial decisions. And so it's all about, um, we started off sort of helping mostly on the comparison side, helping people save money. So on core personal finance categories like um, savings accounts, uh, credit cards, home loans, that kind of thing. And then more recently, we've sort of also ventured into helping people grow their wealth. Um, and that's through things like investing um, in cryptocurrencies and stocks. So yeah, my role mostly um, involves working with uh, designers and engineers to coordinate and build sort of the software products that we deliver to our customers. And the best way I describe the role of a PM or a product manager is like an orchestra conductor. So I don't play any instruments, but um, I sort of conduct what needs to play when and um, make sure that everything is um, singing in harmony. So hope that helps. Yeah, definitely. I uh, I love that when when it's uh, product manager. I think it's you know it, it's one of those ones where it's like uh, I know what all of those words mean by themselves, but what does it mean in practice? I think that's a great analogy. <laughs> so um, you're also really passionate, you know, about social change. So I'm curious how you ended up in the tech space when you've got such a a big repertoire of social change, which we'll talk about in a little while. Yeah, it's a very interesting question. Um, I actually studied international relations at university and part of that was how I came to learn about what we call social entrepreneurship now. So business um, with social impact, like some cross between those two. And um, straight after university, I was very interested in new companies or startups um, that were um, operating in that social impact or social entrepreneurship space. Generally, startups tend to be technology companies. And so what happened was, just naturally, um, I mean, the ecosystem in Sydney, where I started, start the startup ecosystem was still very new. Um, so somehow I ended up working at a bunch of companies that were social impact, impact technology companies. And uh, it's very interesting intersection. And so, yeah, that's kind of where it all started. And even find, I mean, it's not like your pure social enterprise or social impact company, but the mission is positive, right? So it's about helping people make better financial decisions. We just use technology to kind of um, build the solutions or products and services that help you do that. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious about that aspect because um, technology in schools is kind of one, it goes hand in hand in one sense, but in the other, it's uh, a little bit out of step, you know, and uh, I'll have you know, Path, you're talking to the uh, 2009 uh, computer coordinator at Kirawee Public School. So <laughs> I know a thing or two about technology and education. But what, what I found all the way through was that technology moves so fast that what's happening in the classroom and in the school is like there's it's out of step, you know. So I'd be teaching kids, uh, you know, here's a technical skill with technology. The reason you need to do this is X, Y, and Z. And the kids would say, yeah, yeah. We can do that and, you know, like the technology was a little bit outdated by the time we formalise the curriculum and teach it. 
Um, so I guess I'm I'm curious for your perspective on I guess the bubble that exists where if you're very tech literate you move with the change like you do all the updates you don't let that little red dot float in the corner of your computer screen for a year but if you're not you find something that works for you and then you stay entrenched with it and that gap kind of gets bigger Um, so I'm curious about your experiences maybe with some of your experiences with cryptocurrency in particular or something that you've seen in industry that kind of reflects that or might provide some insight for us in schools yeah um I think Right. For me, the question really is about learning. So one of the things, um, even at YCA, we'll talk about that in a second, that when we um, are thinking about, okay, how do we impart some of the the skills around um, social entrepreneurship, we always think about come from the mindset first. So there's kind of these three levels, mindset, skill set, tool set. And what I find sometimes it's it's very easy to get caught up in the tools and and the tool set but we forget about the mindset so if we assume that technology keeps on changing and will continue to keep on changing or like you know not just technology a lot of things keep changing then i think it's far more productive or constructive to impart like the mindset of learning right hey change is going to happen and you should seek to um, understand what's changing and then find ways to either keep up with it or find ways to take advantage of it however you want to frame that I think that mindset is really much more important than saying, hey, you know, these tools or this technology is the one that we should learn. So, you know, in cryptocurrencies, for example, and this is quite a common sort of theme in technological innovation, you have these boom bust sort of cycles. So when something is new, everyone gets really excited and they're like, oh, my God, this is going to change the world. And then lots of investment goes in, lots of people start building stuff and it takes a few goes, right? Like you actually have to kind of put action in and and realize that some of the promises maybe are not real or they need more time and i think like you know with crypto for specific, specifically that's where we are now like kind of going through these phases of really extreme sharp growth and um really extreme sharp downturns but it doesn't necessarily mean that the technology is not good or bad i think it just the experimentation and learning is the thing for me that matters and yeah the counterpoint is i would say sometimes it can be also overblown. So, you know, when something just works, maybe we shouldn't, you know, just look for something new when if, it, if it's working. And so I think finding a balance between those two things, I sometimes grapple with myself, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'd say it's about the mindset of learning um, and being open-minded to change um, in technology or whatever else that we're talking about. Oh, that absolutely resonates with me. Far too sensible path for uh, <laughs> this time of the day. <laughs> um, you mentioned um, Young Change Agents or YCA in there earlier. Uh, you're on the board of Young Change Agents. Could you just tell us a little bit more about that and your work with them? Yeah, so uh, Young Change Agents or YCA, we're an organisation and our mission is to help young people see um, problems as opportunities. Our focus has been to make that a reality through practical social entrepreneurship. I got involved a bit early on when it was just Margaret. She's the uh, CEO and one of the co-founders. It was just her and a very small team of two or three people. And she asked me uh, to help um, design uh, what we call Yink. It's a, or a youth incubator. And so, you know, there, I, I actually, it's really interesting. This was about almost five years ago. I said exactly the same thing I just said to you before, right? It's not about the tools. It's about the mindset first, then the skills, and then the tools are sort of just a way to express those things. 
and that's what we do. So, you know, um, the, the way that some of the programs that YCA runs in schools look like social entrepreneurship um, challenges or incubators, and there you know, can be from two hour workshops to multi week sort of almost term spanning um, hackathons or incubators. That, that's, that's what YCA does. When you say entrepreneurship, I always just like to kind of push on words like that because um, in education particularly, we kind of gravitate to particular phrases, you know, so um, you will very rarely hear uh, critical without creative thinking attached to it or, uh, you know, we might dive really deeply into 21st century learning despite it being, you know, uh, 2022, you know, we're a long way into the 21st century. Um, So when you say entrepreneurship, um, in my mind, the, the things that pop into my mind straight away are about like that hustle culture, you know, a pressure to monetize interests, um, even a little bit um, like exploitive, you know, like I see something and I've got to get my foot in the door and I've got to make it happen uh, and kind of solve it there. Um, so I'm curious, like in reality, like just to push a little bit further on those entrepreneurial mindsets, uh, you know, and what they are and what it means to you. Really um, important question, right? I think so. I see terms and constructs like entrepreneurship as spectrums, right? So there's definitely an element, and this is just because I don't know we live in a capitalist world, right? So there is definitely an element where it's it's almost been the dominant narrative around entrepreneurship is about um, business and monetizing something and creating something to do that. That's not necessarily the, the the narrative that I personally subscribe to. For me. Entrepreneurship has kind of some key things. I'm not going to like probably capture all of them, but a lot of it for me, it's about imagination and problem solving and that mindset, right? Hey, there's this situation or problem that exists and what, how can we imagine a different way of that being? For me, that's entrepreneurship. And if you take that, um, that definition, you can apply it to a variety of, of um, contexts. Right? You can apply it to institutions, you can apply it to uh, politics, you can apply it to business, which is generally where we see it applied. You can also apply it to um, social change. YCA or Young Change Agents, our programs, right? Like when we run them um, in schools, we always ask kids to take problems that they see in the communities day to day and then imagine what are the opportunities to improve those. That's what we call social entrepreneurship. And so I think the, the, the imagination bit is the, the through line for me that matters the most, the, the ability to imagine a change. And if you look at entrepreneurship like that, you can apply it far more broadly. And even in day-to-day life, I think then just a very narrow definition that focuses on business and revenue and monetization and all these things that um, you mentioned, Ryder. So that's what, that's what it means to me. Oh, that's really clear and like really a powerful way to think about that mindset. The economic pressures and the uncertainty in the world, you know, moving forward makes you kind of gravitate towards that. Hey, how can I use this to um, grow wealth, you know, here in in this instant? But the idea of actually, um, if we all used imagination and creativity and problem solving to think differently about some of these big uh, kind of social issues, social injustices and climate change and these kind of big picture things, then you know, what differences could we make, you know, as a collective as well? I think that's, yeah, I think that's really powerful, um, you know, nearly uh, getting to the edge of that kind of collaborative, uh, you know, there's an element of collaboration yes, and exactly. uh, problem solving. Yeah. And I think one other thing I'll say, uh, right, if, if you don't mind, is that I don't think sometimes like these things are, um, can be pitted, I'm not saying you're doing this, but the, they can be pitted as like mutually exclusive that they're opposing. 
I just completely disagree with that. So that this is another mindset kind of piece, right? Where the ability to hold opposing or seemingly opposing constructs together at the same time in your mind. And I found um, in my experience, that is where a lot of the creative opportunities emerge, right? Because when you just close the door or no, like we can't make money and do good at the same time, um, or we, ca- we can't possibly solve something as big as climate change or something. When, you, when we close those doors, we actually like close the doors on possibilities and even imagining them. I don't see a lot of these things as mutually exclusive. There's a lot of pessimism in the world. I'm kind of like a naturally optimistic person. And I wish that we were like more um, open doors, right? Like I'm not saying we can always do everything, but at least like leaving the space for those creative opportunities to emerge. It's really, really important. Oh, here, here. Yeah, well said. Um, have you got have you got an example of that? I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> this is a really big question for me. I could get really philosophical, but I'll give a practical one. Um, <laughs> one of the startups I used to work at before um, in, early in my career was called Good On You, and it still exists. So it's, an, it's a mobile app where you can um, go and search for ratings on how ethical your favorite fashion brands are. You know, in, in that environment, you know, they've accepted that, hey, look, we gotta need to buy clothes, right? People buy clothes and they haven't said, but, you know, that's really bad for the environment. We're not going to do anything about it. They said, but what can we imagine that might make our consumption more ethical? The, and then they said, okay, if we provide that information to people, maybe that'll help steer people away from companies that are less ethical than more. So there's a whole other thread here about how much individual action actually matters. But, you know, I just wanted, let, let's put that aside for a second. Um, but the, the yeah, this, I hope that's a, that's an example of, you know, it's like not mutually exclusive thinking. They're able to do both. And more ethical brands, um, I guess, pay good on you for providing that information to consumers and consumers make choices based on more ethical brands. So it's kind of this more, as opposed to a vicious loop, a reinforcing positive loop. Oh, that's, that's a fantastic example. I'm going to have to go get the app now. <laughs> Um, While I have you, Path, I also wanted to just um, draw on your experiences with fintech. Um, I guess financial literacy is obviously hugely important and small decisions can have pretty big repercussions. Um, So I just wanted uh, to unpack just a little bit um, about what fintech is um, and, and how it kind of works to empower people, students in particular, into the future um, about making informed financial decisions? Yeah, so uh, fintech is short for financial technology. Um, I guess it's the way the cool kids call that. It sounds boring when you say financial technology. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, And so generally, fintech companies or, or organizations look like they're like new takes on existing banks and banking or uh, sort of financial financial institutions. So there's a this new breed of um, you might have heard of the word neo banks, um, sort of new breed of providers and uh, product and service builders who are saying, hey, the way that banking or insurance and sort of finance has been done can be better. And I would say, you know, when we were talking about cryptocurrencies earlier, that's like a almost a system level um, shift, but with in the same vein. Um, it just like is encompasses a much bigger leap in technology than sort of some of the more incremental stuff. So, you know, an incremental thing might be, oh, here's a mobile app that is far better. It's a far better bank than your traditional bank, right? That is still fintech. But what crypto is saying, it kind of reverses a lot of the assumptions that um, we've made in um, financial technology. For example, if you wanted, if, if I wanted to write a go and look at like 
a bank's ledger of transactions, right? That is inherently closed information. The bank doesn't publicize, hey, here's our ledger. In crypto, we reverse that assumption. All of the transactions that happen on a cryptocurrency network are public. So this is a really interesting thing. I talk about mindset. It's like, you also said this earlier, there's this um, inertia or like kind of established things that we keep doing. When you reverse assumptions, interesting things can happen. And so that's like one of the things that that is kind of happening in financial technology at the moment is we're like looking at these age old hundreds, hundreds of years old assumptions about how technology should be used, how products should be built. And that's just kind of creating really interesting opportunities to, to do new things. I guess the, the question for me would be if I'm teaching numeracy, you know, in the school, you know, and I really am invested in what education is about, like equipping students with the best information that they can have to make the best decisions they can into the future. I'm curious about whether I should be teaching them about cryptocurrencies or if I should be teaching them about uh, more simplistic, like technical kind of applications or how to how to ask good questions you know, about those things. So sometimes you don't know the question to ask. So I guess that would be the kind of lead I would give on that one. I would say it's probably, for me, neither of those things, right? Because I'll come back, it comes back to the mindset, skill set, tool set thing. So crypto, for example, yes, it's a technology, which frankly, for me, puts it in the tool set section, right? It's like not really useful kind of by itself. It's just a thing, a bunch of databases. And so some of the core constructs that matter for me, and this is kind of through my experience at Finder as well. I'm a personal finance hack, by the way. So simple concepts like compounding, right? Learning about the biases that humans have, finding and almost learning about, okay, how can we create um, systems and mindsets and processes like for our personal lives to counter those things? So one example with compounding is, I'm not sure if you knew this, but most the biggest gains from compounding come towards the end. So if you invest, for example, $100 every year for 10 years or every month for 12 months, the biggest gain that you'll get from that investment um, will come at the end, like in the 11th or the 12th month, because that's when your total invested principal is the largest amount, right? So it's like almost teaching some of these things that are not intuitive, right? Like we, we humans suck at multiplication. At least in my experience, people just suck at multiplication and especially like exponential right? Like when something doubles every day or every month, that, that is a really hard concept for us to imagine. And so I think I would focus on teaching those count, like not so intuitive, high level constructs and why they matter and how they can really impact where you end up over the long period of time. And the reason why I say that is because like, why does personal finance matter, right? Ultimately, long-term constructs that are not common when we're just going day to day start to matter. So I think those are the places like compounding, um, where I would where I would focus on um, if we're talking about personal finance and numeracy, right? Yeah, oh, you um you're very elegant in the way you softly guided me through something that I'm clearly ignorant in. That'll be reflective for me, you know, with with my teaching and thinking about what element of this is kind of a gimmick designed to be the flashing lights, bells and whistles that kind of get me to sign up for the immediacy without thinking through the long term consequence. Path, I always finish with this question. It's a really hard question um, and it's particularly hard for you because you've already answered it for me a couple of times on the way through, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Imagine uh, that you had the opportunity that every 10-year-old in the world, uh, we're about equity and access, so developing world all over the planet, 
every 10-year-old, they had one lesson with PATH, what would you want them to walk away with? What would you want that one takeaway? They've only got one learning intention that they'll get from you. What is it that they're going to walk away with? Oh, this is so hard. I think it would have to be the compounding one. Small actions taken regularly compound or grow to be bigger than just the sum of them and that the biggest effect happens at the end. I think that that can just, that applies not just to money, it applies to relationships, it applies to a lot of other things. So um, that would be the one that I would give. Oh, well, that is an absolute winning answer. Well done. <laughs> Path, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, you know, I could talk to you all day. There's so much to kind of mine. Might have to make an appointment to come and see you, get my finances in order to. <laughs> but thanks for joining us today. <laughs> no worries. That was great. Thanks for having me. Chatting with Path today made me think about how important a role mindsets play. Our day-to-day actions compound throughout our lives, so we better make the best choices we can. It was interesting how he positioned entrepreneurship and the possibilities that exist when you keep options open. Why can't we find ways for profitable social change? And finally, I really appreciated his candor around technology, particularly cryptocurrency. The future is uncertain. But if we carry a mindset of curiosity, imagination, and optimism, we'll find a way to navigate it. Thanks for listening to Creatable Future. Leave us a review and let us know what you liked, what you didn't like, and what you'd like more of. Reviews help us reach more listeners so that we can keep bringing you more awesome conversations. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep up to date with each episode as they come out. If you want to hear more about how Creatable is connecting schools with industry through our professional learning library, head to creatablefuture.com. This episode was recorded on Darawal and Darug country. Catch you next week.